So, good evening, friends. Welcome to this retreat. My name is Martin Aylward, and I'll be uh, uh, leading the weekend. Just looking around the, the room, it's, it's nice to recognize some of you, some of whom I know oh, quite well, some of whom I, I recognize at least, and many of whom I have no idea who you are. So, uh, welcome everyone. Some of you are very familiar with Gaia House. Some of you are coming here for the first time, Many, quite a lot of you in fact. For many of you, it's uh, your first uh, toe in the water, we might say of this kind of practice, uh, discovering for the first time. I sometimes reflect at the beginning of a retreat that if that's the case, and sometimes coming here for the first time things can feel a little unfamiliar, sitting in this rather formal way may seem unfamiliar, the kind of uh, hush of Gaia House may feel unfamiliar. But actually, if you're coming for the first time, if you're uh, tasting meditation for the first time, you're at a great advantage. There's this wonderful uh, line from uh, a Japanese teacher called Suzuki Roshi. He says, In the mind of the beginner are many possibilities. In the mind of the expert, very few possibilities. And so he encouraged very much what he called beginner's mind. The willingness to look anew, to look afresh. In many ways, that's what the whole training of meditation practice is. That's what the art of meditation is the art in many ways of putting aside the the kind of clutter the inner clutter that we often bring to our experience putting aside what we think we already know about what's happening putting aside expert mind as it were and starting from the basic assumption that I I don't know I don't know what's really going on here. I don't know what it is to sit and to breathe and to see and to feel. I've got a whole bunch of ideas about what that is. Some of them may be ideas I've thought a lot about. Some of them may be very unexamined ideas. Sometimes we notice we're just kind of operating on autopilot in a rather mechanical way. But this weekend is very much an opportunity to put aside those ideas and as much as possible come to a very fresh, alive, immediate relationship with what's happening. The title of this weekend, I think, is... 
inhabiting the truth of the moment. And so I guess the fact that you're all here for that title means that you have at least some intuition or possibly the all too familiar recognition that much of the time we don't seem to be inhabited, inhabiting, grounded in, at ease with, in connection with what's happening right now. Often we seem to be caught up in our own private world, spinning sometimes in that world, caught up by a momentum that we don't seem to have a great deal of control over. We um, can feel dragged through what the Buddha called the three fields of time. Dragged to the future. Sometimes that's with a kind of positive charge, right? Feeling positive about the future. In which case we call that uh, hope or excitement or fantasy. But in a way that seems to kind of pull us out of ourselves, pull us towards something else in a way that leaves this moment looking rather kind of drab or dull in comparison. That's the nature of excitement, fantasy, or something else looks so much more tantalizing, more interesting. There may be moments this weekend where almost anything else might seem more tantalizing, more interesting than the kind of stark reality of actually facing one's own inner life like this, right now, inhabiting the truth of the moment. Sometimes our attention is pulled towards the future, but with a kind of negative charge called fear, anxiety, apprehension. And we find ourselves kind of pulling back against the inexorable passage of time towards something we're dreading or worried about. So easily we get into a kind of problematic relationship with what's happening based on the future, the agitation of excitement, the trepidation of fear or anxiety. Or similarly, we get into a troublesome relationship with the past. Sometimes positively charged, right? called nostalgia. We say, oh, oh. Again, you might find yourself sitting here oh, thinking of some, you know, last weekend or 15 years ago or whenever the last time you enjoyed yourself was. <laughs> and in a similar way, that sense of oh, longing for something that's, let's face it, hopelessly lost and gone forever. Whether it was yesterday or whether it was uh, decades ago. And then in the same way, this moment somehow seems lacking in something. Or we, go, we, uh, we kind of get dragged back to the past... Um, Negatively charged, you know, with regret, 
thinking of what happened, replaying it, sometimes replaying and replaying and replaying, as if we could make a difference. With the kind of mantra of, if only. If only I'd, or if only I hadn't, or if only he had or she had, or if only it had been different. And again, again, I should have said, I should have done. As if. As if by replaying it we can make a difference. No chance. Or we get dragged around by our minds in the present. And through a kind of endless commentary and analysis on what's happening. So rather than inhabiting the, the truth of the moment, rather than a kind of visceral, sensual, uh, sensitive contact with what's happening, we kind of abstract our experience like a commentator. I am now, now this and now that. And chattering away to ourselves. So you may be very familiar with those movements I just described. We're all very familiar with them. That's what human minds do. And yet you may be more or less conscious about that process. So actually maybe before I speak any more, why don't we sit quietly together and see what our mind does. So we'll just spend a short time sitting quietly. And before we begin, I just want to make sure that everybody is kind of um, sitting in a way that feels helpful and supportive. Most of you are on the floor, and I wonder if that's because you, you generally feel like you're comfortable on the floor, or if it's through some strange notion that meditation should happen on the floor, and that there's some vicarious connection between Inhabiting the truth of the moment and the position of your legs. <laughs> so you're very welcome to sit on the floor. And in fact, if everyone wanted to sit on a chair, we might have a problem with the number of chairs. But there are some, and I guess there are some more in the back. So if, you, if you're uh, sitting on the floor in what seems like some kind of misplaced zeal, and you think you actually might be more comfortable and your legs might be more at ease on a chair, please feel free. Either now or as you get, as we get used to things, at any point in the weekend, it's, it's really fine to sit on a chair. The things that are helpful in terms of the posture we take, whether we're sitting on the floor or whether we're sitting on, on a chair, is to sit in a way that's three things. Firstly, upright which kind of is about a sense of brightness and interest and connection. So if you're in a chair, it's really helpful to sit in a way that's unsupported rather than kind of collapsed against the back of the chair, which doesn't necessarily conduce very well to brightness, right? but rather sitting rather forward on the chair and with your feet quite kind of squarely on the ground. The second thing that's really helpful is a sense of openness in your chest. 
so that your breathing can really pass freely. So you might want to just roll your shoulders back a little for that and then just let them drop. And the third thing that's really helpful is just to let your belly be soft and round and relaxed as much as possible. Just letting your eyes close. Your hands at rest in your lap or on your knees. And take a moment to notice the the basic aliveness of your experience. Prior to any particular thought or any sensation or any sound, there's a kind of basic receptivity to our consciousness. The potential to experience. Which I'll be calling awareness throughout the weekend. This basic receptivity, this awareness, is the heart and the ground of our practice. And then within this basic receptivity, just to notice the sensation of breathing. And if possible, really see if you can not rely on an image or a description of the breath, but rather really inhabiting the physical experience. And specifically, the sensation of expansion on the in-breath. And of relaxation on the outbreath. Focusing all your attention on the simple and direct experience of breathing. And just for the next four or five minutes, letting all your attention be focused on experiencing the breath. Of course, thoughts will pass by, sounds will arise. Other sensations in the body may draw your attention. But just see if you can just leave them alone to do their thing. Letting your attention be in your belly. The expansion of breathing in.
the relaxation of breathing out.
So what do you notice? Maybe you could just raise your hand if, uh, if you manage to just absorb your attention into your breath for the whole five minutes without uh, anything else much <coughs> happening. As I suspected. <laughs> Our minds move, right? They move... Independent of our wishes. Our minds move independent of our wishes. We think about our inner life, our sense of ourself, our mind, as if it belongs to me. My mind, we say, my mind. And yet something that's mine suggests a degree of ownership and control. If something's mine, it's mine to do with what I like. This is my jacket. I'll wear it if I want. Take it off if I want. Right? That's what mine means. Mine to do with as I please. But my mind doesn't really do what I please at all. I say, oh, please just stay here for five minutes and pay attention to breathing. But mine decides it rather wander here and there. Dragged into the three fields of time. Wondering, questioning, doubting, or, or sometimes just uh, wondering vaguely, vaguely, unimportantly, trivially, sloppily. It kind of makes you wonder. You know, when we see, when we really experience how much our mind just seems to do, just seems to run on its own agenda. Kind of makes me me wonder about that. The what's going on when I think of my mind, when I think of a sense of a coherency around who I am and what I think and how I act. It seems that I don't really get to decide a whole lot about what I think. How easily though we get invested in that? Well, of course, what I think is. We present a sense of coherency to others. We delude ourselves in the same way. We present a sense of coherency to ourselves. And meanwhile, when we start to actually pay a rather close and direct attention to our own inner life, it seems a bit incoherent. So... When we, when we uh, speak about, when we aspire to inhabit the truth of the moment, seems like that might be quite a challenge. Because we can't make it happen. Right? We just tried for a few minutes and it seems, at least from the amount of raised hands, it seems like nobody succeeded. So we can't insist that we just here now. This is it. Okay. 
nowhere to go. Right, then I won't go anywhere. Okay. And already as we describing that we were describing to ourselves that we won't go anywhere, the beginning of those machinations of getting caught in describing, analysing, interpreting. So in many ways the art of inhabiting the moment isn't about trying to insist that we stay here, that we just experience this. It's really about getting quite conscious about all the ways in which we don't stay present, all the ways in which we're not connected. So I want to really uh, emphasize at the beginning of this weekend, I want to normalize for you, whether you're just beginning meditation or whether you've done a whole bunch of it, For years, I want to really normalize the fact that the mind moves. We easily get kind of tight around meditation, feeling that we're somehow not doing it properly, or that we're we're failing, or that there's something wrong with me, because he's saying, you know, pay attention, stay here, follow the breath, and my mind's kind of crazy going here and there. So that's like good news. It's normal. (laughs) So this context we have of using the practice of meditation is really a way of um, waking up to the ways our mind moves. And how come? What's going on in that? What happens when when our mind goes here and there? Like I say, whether we move to the future, positively or or negatively characterised, either moving in terms of the hope, fantasy, excitement, or moving in terms of fear, worry, anxiety. Same things with the way I described the past. The common denominator, same with moving into analysis, interpretation, description, commentary of the present. The common denominator is a sense of tension. We get tense. Sometimes very, very noticeably tense. We call it stress. Sometimes just very, very subtly tense. But nevertheless we get tense when the mind moves and invests in something. Moves towards the future, moves towards the past, turns around and round in the present. We'll explore together that common denominator more than anything else. The effect of the mind moving unconsciously, or the effect of the mind moving and us investing in that movement, believing in what it tells us about the future, positive or negative, believing in what it tells us about the past, believing in its descriptions of the present, The common denominator of that movement is stress. The Buddha used a word, uh, a Pali word, which was the language he spoke, called the dukkha, which you may be familiar with. A very good translation for the word dukkha is stress. And sometimes we say or we feel, oh, I'm stressed. But it's interesting. We tend to not think of being stressed 
or speak of being stressed until our stress levels are kind of almost way off the chart. It's like then finally we get it. Oh, I'm stressed. You know. Actually, if we really pay attention, stress is much more predominant than we might think. We wouldn't imagine coming to the bucolic Devon countryside for the weekend and having our meals laid on, everything taken care of for us, and a schedule that involves sitting around much of the day, doing a little bit of slow, gentle walking from time to time, and taking rest quite a lot. We wouldn't imagine that would be stressful, right? It doesn't sound like a stressful program. So it'll be interesting to see what do we do What does our mind do with a bit of sitting around, a bit of walking around, a bit of hanging out quietly? It might be quite a shock to see that our mind seems to be, at least the way it's operating much of the time, seems to be programmed for stress. Programmed towards stress. That the kind of movements we support in ourselves much of the time are movements that engender stress, create stress. And then we tell ourselves a whole bunch of stories about that stress. Often involving a kind of poor me plot line that runs through it. And often involving a whole bunch of strategies about uh, what I need to do or what others ought to do to make things better for me. So we start off with these movements that are very stressful and then we add to the stress with the poor me, poor me, that's stressful, or a whole bunch of strategies of what to do. That's stressful. (laughs) This might seem like a bleak picture of our lives. But this is the opportunity this weekend, in a way, to see, firstly, is that true? And secondly, does it have to be like that? So all the forms of this weekend, the form of silent meditation together, the forms of the instructions and guidance, the form of the teachings and of the discussions and opportunity to explore together that we'll have. All of them are really to support us looking into what's happening if I put aside my various, or I intend to put aside my various strategies my various duties and obligations, my various distractions, my various demands, and my various defences, then what might I notice about my life? That's the intention with the, the support here and the schedule and the silence. An opportunity to put aside our demands, defences and distractions.
then what might we notice if we put our life kind of under the microscope in that way? We don't know, really, what might well happen. That's why I say you might have the advantage if you're coming for the first time. Because you maybe know that you don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. The people who have been here before, poor souls, might think they know. Sometimes we think, oh yeah, well well, I've done a long retreat, so weekend, I kind of know what that's going to be like. We don't know. It's very interesting. We sometimes get kind of uncomfortable around not knowing. We really like certainty. We like to feel we know what we want. We know what we think. And we know kind of who we are. So my intention with this weekend isn't to make you uncomfortable or insecure well <laughs> maybe there's a little intention around that but it's not it's not uh, specifically to make us uh, uncomfortable and insecure around those things but rather to open up the space so that we might say what do i really want what do i really think Who do, I, who, who do I really see, seem to be? We have a whole bunch of ideas unconsciously reinforcing themselves again and again about who we think we are. But if we come back from those ideas, come back from the, the his, all the history that's built them up, and we come into the truth of the moment, then what's this? What ought to be here? What's the immediate experience of body rather than the image of body, the idea of body, the story of body, the the visualized sense of body? What's, What's unfolding in my feeling state, in my mental state? What is it to be conscious at all? The very fact of this basic receptivity that I referred to earlier, the very fact that we find ourselves kind of alive and animated and here is both quite mysterious and as we emphasize that aspect of our experience is something that can open up and open up and open up, revealing more and more of itself. And specifically revealing the patterns of stress. The patterns of ego tensions. The patterns through which I maintain the agitation in relationship to the future, to the past and to the present. So we have kind of a quite specific intention. For inhabiting the truth of the moment. It's not. To have some. Particular kind of experience. 
I don't know what you know about meditation. If you've done a bunch of it, you may have reference to some particularly deep or beautiful experience that you've had. And the, the, the wish or the attempt to get that back. If you haven't much experience in meditation, you may have some image or some story that someone else has told you, or what you've read in a book, or those kind of, that kind of airbrushed view of meditation, you know, with kind of light pouring forth from, from various chakras and rainbow lights, and I, I don't know what else going on. We might have some, um, we might know something about the life of the Buddha or some other great saint and be hoping for, sometimes desperately hoping for, some kind of particular um, whiz-bang experience. This practice is about freedom from stress. about the possibilities of our life expanding beyond narrow, tight negotiation between self and world, this and that, here and there. It's not about having any kind of particular experience. And in the light of that, and in aligned with inhabiting the truth of the moment, all experiences are welcome. That's also very good news. You can't fail at this practice. You can't have a wrong experience. I was just saying, I've just finished teaching a retreat this morning at the centre in France where I live. And a couple of days ago I was saying to the people on retreat, if I would have one wish for you, it would be the wish that you don't make some experience you have into something wrong. Something that shouldn't be happening. Something that you need to reject or push away. To inhabit the truth of the moment is to let what's here be here. Sometimes that might be difficult. What's might, what might be here might be something that's, that's hard to be in touch with. Something that makes us feel rather kind of vulnerable or uneasy. Sometimes it's hard to be with the truth of the moment. But it's much harder. It's much harder to go through our life trying to escape through distractions, through defenses, through demands. That's really hard. That's really stressful. Because, here we are, right? This is it. All we ever do have is this moment. We create a whole bunch of stories about the future. We replay a whole bunch of stories about the past. But actually, we can't escape the truth of the moment. We can't inhabit anything but the truth of the moment. 
But we spend so much energy and time and stress overlaying that with our distractions, our defences, our demands. So this is an invitation to come back. To let go of those strategies and defences. We've got precious and rare conditions here for these few days. Conditions in which we don't have the usual duties and obligations of our lives. In which others aren't dependent on us in the same way. In which the phone doesn't ring for us. Which is a reminder uh, to switch off your phones. Please, offer yourself the gift. Did the managers maybe uh, ask that? But you know, we, do, we know that it's sometimes a futile request. You know? But offer yourself that just till Sunday afternoon. The world will get along without you. You know? If there's really a, if somebody really needs you, they can call the office and the office will find you. You know, if it's a serious thing. Otherwise, oh, come back. Come here. Like I said in the beginning, welcome. You're welcome to be here as you are. You're welcome to rest into the silence. Sometimes we may experience the silence as something kind of awkward, particularly if it's unfamiliar, walking around with others, not speaking, eating at a table with each other, not speaking. Don't even know, should I say, can you pass the salt? Or is maybe that's not even allowed, maybe I should just say. <laughs> it's not about being kind of precious around the silence. The goal of the silence isn't to not, you know, to shut up, to, to not say, could you pass me the salt? It's an invitation to really be with ourselves. To be intimate with our own experience. Because that's how we get to notice, right? When those stressful stressful movements are happening. It's in being intimate with ourselves, in being awake to our own inner lives that we notice when we leave, when we get caught up. And so the invitation is just when we get caught up. In the moment that we notice that, just at the, you know, every couple of moments, an out-breath comes along. And an out-breath is an invitation in the midst of... Uh, To let it go. Whatever it is. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.